from American Salon Magazine and .com. This is American Salon Stories, a weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host and the CEO of Hairbrained, the industry's online community of craft hairdressers. Thank you to American Salon for the opportunity to have these amazing conversations every week. My guest today is Ian Michael Black, a renowned colorist, educator, artist, and global traveler. As Aveda's global artistic director for hair color, he collaborates on Aveda trend collections and visual campaigns, and he travels the world to educate colorists. He's also dad to Momo, his ridiculously cute terrier rescue. And a bit of Ian trivia, it says in his online bio that he can still fit into the Vivian Westwood suit that he got when he was 20 years old. I hate him a little bit now, um, but welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast, Ian Michael Black. Thank you, Gordon. I love you know that about me, about the Vivian Westwood suit. <laughs> <laughs> the power of digital and social media. We know a lot about everybody. <laughs> it's quite scary, the things that are out there in internet world about you. It, it is a little scary. It's also, it's also a lot of fun. Um, the, um, the fact that I know about Momo, um, by the way, um, that would be on Instagram at Foxy underscore Momo. I think everybody should be following Momo. Oh, she's very cute. She's much absolute sweetheart. And, uh, I, and I love that she's a rescue dog. So, so good for you for that. Well, you've got a rescue dog as well. And, you know, what's been interesting is having the dog, you realize that the world's divided into two lots of people, those that would rescue and those that wouldn't. Mm hmm. I, I, you know, that's a, and that's a very powerful statement. So anybody who's listening, if you're thinking about getting a dog, we both of us recommend highly you go to your local shelter, go to your local foster group and um, consider adopting a rescue. Definitely. There are so many dogs out there that need good homes. It's, it's so true. So, so let's talk about Ian. So let's start with a, just kind of the short version, the backstory of, of you professionally and, um, and also kind of what, a typical day looks like in the life of Ian Michael Black, period, with, with Aveda and, and everything else that you do? Um, well, let's start with uh, my history, I guess, because I started hairdressing when I was 16. So that was a very, very long time ago. And I went to beauty school for two years. And I can honestly say, I think when I left, I was the, the person least likely to succeed because I didn't really like cutting hair. I didn't really like blow drying hair. I, I'm not even sure I really liked doing hair. And then I left and then I moved to London. And the first job that I had, I worked in a salon on the King's Road. But strangely enough, was two doors down from Vivian Westwood. And I thought, okay. if I go and work there, I can make friends with the people that work there and get their staff discount, which worked out perfectly. And uh, and then I sort of grew out of that and and went to work for Tony and Guy. And it was sort of in the mid 90s and they were really at their peak. And I think, you know, it was a really interesting time to join because it was much before the company got really big. I mean, they've got thousands of salons now. I mean, it's incredible what they've done with it. But, you know, I started working there when there were maybe five and I started there and I I was very happy and I was just being a colorist and I was really kind of finding who I was as a hairdresser. And I was working, you know, it was a really amazing place to work at the time. And then um, the girl that was the head colorist in the salon I worked in, she was always like, oh, you should teach, you should teach. And I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. And I just kind of went along to an art team meeting, really just to shut her up and ended up loving it. 
and taught there and ended up on their art team. And then in 1999, went to work for Aveda. And the rest is history, as they say. So how... At what point did you decide that you had a passion for hair color? To be honest, I think as soon as I got into a salon. Because mm. actually, to be honest, you know, this was the days before the internet and before everything. I didn't even know you could just color hair. So that was kind of a bit of a revelation, really. And it was something that, did you apply for a hair colorist position with Tony and Guy? Or did... Yeah, yeah I think, you know, the salon I worked in before... I just started doing more and more color. And then when I went to work for Tony and Guy, it was to just be a colorist and loved every moment of it, I have to say. So fast forward today, and, and your title is Aveda's Global Artistic Director for Hair Color. So you've obviously taken that hair color thing a, a long distance from where you started. Yes, um, a very long way, I have to say. <laughs> I would say one of the more important hair color jobs in the entire professional beauty industry. Um, you're, you have the opportunity to work with Antoinette Beenders, who is one of the most brilliant uh, creative directors on the entire planet. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about that. Any, any fun or interesting Antoinette stories? Oh, I have lots of fun Antoinette stories, but not to share on here. <laughs> and I've known Antoinette a really long time. And, you know, it's really interesting because we're both obviously originally from London career wise. And, you know, I've seen her grow through Trevor Sorbiers and she used to do this TV program style challenge and she won, you know, all these awards. And she was someone that I always kind of uh, admired because I guess she sort of did her own thing. And she's always had a very strong aesthetic and what she likes. And it's not always the same as everybody else. And I think that's something that's very special about her. And then over the years, we've just had a great working relationship. You know, I think she's a great person to work with. I think she's unbelievably talented. I think she's uh, a real force to be reckoned with. And, you know, I, I'm very lucky that I work with not just her, but a lot of other really talented people, which, to be honest, make my life really easy. <laughs> so I'm all for that. <laughs> well, yeah, Veda is is renowned for the for the caliber of people who work um, on the team as well as in the large organization. So, so what is a typical day in your life, professionally speaking? I don't think that is a typical day. I mean, this is something that people. I mean, people sort of follow me on Instagram and they get to see the hair I do and things. But actually, a lot of a lot of what I do is not. You know, it's um, so later today I'm flying to Minneapolis, which is obviously where Aveda is based and we're recording some videos for um, some quick techniques with Aveda's signature hair color technique eclipting. Um, and then I know you're going to join us actually, because we're doing a Aveda Instagram challenge. I am. Where I, we, we give the network certain hashtags and we get winners every month. And then every kind of four months, I guess, five months, they come to Minneapolis and myself, Janelle Geeson, who, of course, is the Global Artistic Director of Makeup, Ricardo Dinis, who is the Global Artistic uh, Director for Haircutting. You know, we come to Minneapolis and we kind of mentor these people. We give them a shoot. We kind of give them advice. It's really nice to kind of see them grow and have this very unique experience as kind of four or five of them having this kind of bond together and working with us. And it's really nice to kind of help art direct what they do. So you're now based in LA, right? You were in New York yes. for quite a while and you recently yeah, I moved. In, I was in uh, New York for six years and then moved to sunny LA. 
for a calm life. <laughs> it's like the polar opposite of New York, to be honest. The um, Now, I'm a Chicago-based uh, person, and so I, I don't view New York or LA as being calm. <laughs> well, I think LA is quite calm after living, you know, because I lived two blocks from Times Square, really. Ah. So I lived right in the middle of it, which drove me a little insane in the end. So moving to Hollywood has been a nice, calm move. But it's very interesting, you know, living on a different coast. I think the aesthetics are different. I think I think there's much more of a kind of hair community on the West Coast. It's very interesting. I think there's a, a very strong, I guess because the West Coast is maybe more into social media than the East Coast, I think. But I don't know. I think there's a, a really strong bond between hairdressers here. And I think there's a lot of support between people, which I think is a really kind of healthy thing in the industry. Do you see a difference um, at the client level in, in terms of um, hair fashion, as in particular as it relates to color, East Coast versus West? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think there's quite a big difference, actually. I mean, I think there's a lot more brighter colors on the West Coast. I think people have a lot more fun with their hair. I mean, I think there's just different aesthetics, You know, I mean, when I was in New York, everybody wants to look like, you know, they didn't dress up, even though they obviously spent about three hours getting ready, you know, (laughs) Um, whereas in the West Coast, people want you to know that they spent three hours getting ready. And I think there's a there's just a more sense of fun around hair color on the West Coast, to be completely honest. You know, I think there's, you know, I see a lot more brightly colored hair and a lot more people just kind of playing around with stuff. And I think it's, you know, anything that encourages people to play with hair color is, I think, a very positive thing. Well, and and Something that certainly has inspired people, professionals, and 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 consumers alike to play "quote unquote" with hair colors uh, would be social media. Um, and so, I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about that. Um, you mentioned the Instagram contest that Evade is doing, and and talked about mentoring. I want to get to that in a moment, but but big picture, like, what's your take on the impact of social media on hair color? Well, it was really interesting, actually. A friend of mine was talking about this the other day, and they've got absolutely nothing to do with hairdressing at all. And they're a kind of blogger, big on Instagram and stuff. And, you know, and they said to me, it's really interesting. They said the two businesses that have done the best out of social media is hair and coffee shops, which I thought was quite interesting for somebody that's got nothing to do with the industry. But I think particularly hair color, because, you know, Instagram's visual and... You know, and also you're not having to see maybe the detail in the haircut or whatever. So you can take pictures of the backs of the head and show lots of color. And I think it's really pushed the industry forward and I'm all for it. And I think, you know, it's just a different way of communicating. You know, I think it's uh, it's something fun. I think you can really inspire people. You know, I'd, I mean, I just put pictures of work I'm doing, you know, on there and I, you meet people around and it's amazing the sort of huge kind of influence you have on these people all around the globe because every day people are tagging me and they used a certain formula that I put on there or something. And I think it's a, it's a great way of people swapping ideas. And I think hair color has done incredibly well off it. So I'm all about the social media. You you mentioned kind of the personal connections and I'm so fascinated with that because, you know, we've both been in the industry for a little while and, and you've been traveling the globe for quite some time. And I'm sure before there was social, you know, you'd meet all these people um, who ideally maybe you'd want to stay connected with. Um, I certainly think many students in classrooms um, for educators like, like you um, 
wish they could have stayed in closer touch with you in, in, in years past. What's your take on social in terms of that connectivity? Um, and not just kind of the, I don't know, the, I don't know the obvious, but do you feel bonds with students, with, with those people that you're working so hard to, to move their careers forward? Do you, do you feel a difference today than in the past? I think it's like night and day, to be honest. And, but in a very healthy way, mm-hmm. you know, I think now somebody can come on a class, it's whatever you've taught them, they, they do it, they put a picture on Instagram, they tag you in it, you can see what they've got from the class, which to me is the most beautiful thing in the world, where you've taught somebody this idea, and they've gone off and they've taken that idea and made it their own and got this new look with it. And I think it's amazing. I think it's incredibly flattering. Um, yeah, and I think just they can, you know, is that thing of, you know, they can DM you and ask you something that they've maybe forgotten from the class or just to ask advice on stuff. And I think, you know, that availability to people is, you know, it's quite unique, really. You didn't have that 20 years ago. And now anybody can, you know, DM me and ask me anything, you know, and it's very rare I don't reply. You know, I'm, I'm always very conscious of that because I think you have to. But, you know, I think just that, people feeling connected to a bigger community. And I think the great thing about it is, you know, it used to be all about you'd have to be in a major city if you wanted to make it. And I think now it doesn't matter. You can be in the middle of nowhere in, you know, Montana. It doesn't make any difference. People don't necessarily presume you're better because you're in New York anymore. And I think that's the power that you don't have to, you can stay where you are and you can be very successful and you can do great work and you can communicate with others And I think there are some really great kind of communities out there through social media where people, maybe they're not so inspired by the people that they work with or the salon that they're in, I don't know, but they can be influenced by all sorts of people all around the globe and have, you know, it's a free for all. So we all have access to everybody, which I think is amazing. And, you know, and that, that point, you know, that has really helped to, in America, kind of supercharge the independent movement, you know, those going into suites, those going into booth rental, because one of the challenges for so many who perhaps, I don't know, hit a block in their career and, and thought something different than the traditional salon was, was an opportunity. Sometimes they got stuck because they weren't going to have a team to be around, which for them maybe meant they lost their inspiration, they lost the connectivity with a group of people. And social has kind of created another way of having that um, engagement that I would argue has opened the door for the independent category to grow. Totally. But I think it's it's quite weird that everybody looks at this kind of studio suite kind of model of working as something really new. And to me, it's just 20 years ago, people just used to leave the salon and be a mobile hairdresser and go around your house and cut your hair. Whereas now they're going to have a, a little studio. And I think, you know, I have a friend here in LA who had a studio and now they've got an amazing salon on third. So, you know, it's, it's just a different way, isn't it? I think it's just the modern version of a kind of home hairdresser, really, but with better skills. And, and, and in some ways, it's the evolution of rental period. I mean, in this country for a very long time, you, there's been chair rental. And this is the chair rental also on steroids, you know, that you not only have a chair that you're renting, but a space that comes with it. And, you know, you kind of create your own vibe. And uh, but but again, as you say, it's just another way. And, and all they all work um, for different people at different times in different ways. It's all good. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's great is you can especially through social media, you can decide what you want to be known for. 
you know, and it's, I, I, you know, I teach a social media class and I talk about, you know, using your Instagram as your lookbook, you know, and, and getting your guests involved in the whole process and getting them to follow you because at the end of the day, why are they bringing in a picture from Pinterest that I did when they can be inspired by the work that you do? And I think, you know, it, it's, it's having a paradigm change sometimes in hairdressers to sort of how they approach social media, because sometimes I think people, they're just putting photos out there, hoping that something's going to happen. Whereas, you know, I'm like, just focus it a little bit more. It's better to have 200 followers that come in and you do their hair than 20,000 that never come in. So, you know, use it to your advantage and make money off it. That is, is such an important point. And I, I, this comes up often in our podcasts, you know, but the idea of, of followers and, and focusing on um, the right way of, of the thinking about of social media, in particular Instagram, and, and not always going for that 20, 30, 40, 50,000 group of followers, unless you want to be an influencer, you know, quote unquote, but rather focusing on, a, on, on the group of people who can drive your business and your career forward. I think it's really interesting. It's like I look at a lot of salon Instagrams and I'm always like, who is this for? Is this for your guests or is it for the people that work here? Because there's a lot of, oh, it's Sally's birthday. But unless you get your hair done by Sally, it means nothing to you. You know, and you have to just think why people follow you. And I think it is a really great way of, you know, not just getting guests, but, you know, getting them inspired by what you do and really building a business off it. And I think to me, that's why people should do it. To make their lives easier and to make some money off it, you know, it seems the simple thing. You know, it's it's about intention, you know, and it's about I think you know looking at the opportunities that are being involved in any social context offer. Old old school, you know, it was, um, you know, you can stand as a hairdresser, you can stand in the Starbucks line and wait for your coffee, you know, or you can stand in the Starbucks line with the intention of networking with the people who might be aligned with you because they live and work in the same neighborhood and pass out your card and get your coffee. Um, and social to me feels kind of the same. You know, you can be on there and you can be social, or I think if you're more savvy, if you're more driven to, to take your career to a better place, you can be on social with some business intention as well. Yeah. And I just think, you know, the thing about social media is it's social. It's just real life online, you know, and people go, oh, everybody's trying to be something they're not and show this glamorous life. But that's what everybody's doing in real life anyway. It's, it, it's just a different form of it. And I think, you know, it, it just creates different communities. The community used to be the shops down the road and those people that work in the shops. But now the community is much more focused into what you do. And, you know, there's these little communities of kind of hair cutters. You know, there's ones of hair color. There's certain people that people follow because they like certain looks. You know, and I think it's, it's really good that people can just pick and choose what they like and, you know, find some great things to be inspired by. One of the things I like about you is uh, I know you actively engage on social. Um, we follow a lot of the same people and I'll see a photo come up and I want to hit the like button and often your name will already be there, you know, so that you, you beat me to liking that photo. Um, but you also, you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, about people who direct message you. Um, I've direct messaged you. You are very fast, um, kind of Johnny on the spot on, on responding um, to to that, and which to me is is one of the keys to being successful online, just like in the real world, that you respond to people, that you react to people. Talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you, how does how do you recommend that that people 
A, prioritize and find time for engaging? And, and how important do you think it is? I think it's incredibly important. And I think, you know, the more successful you are on social media, the more important it becomes. You know, it's, um, you know, I have some friends who have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and, and they just are like, you know, every day I just think, wow, how did this happen? And you have to be thankful of those people because because of people following them, they've had all these opportunities. But I think, you know, you replying to people means a lot. It might take me, you know, 30 seconds to type a reply. It might take me three minutes. It doesn't really matter. But to that person, it matters a lot. And I think it's just politeness. It's kind of like, you know, if somebody, you know, asked you something in the street, you're not going to just ignore them. I think it's just general kind of courtesy more than anything. And I think it's also, they are, you know, they're the people that make you what you are in a way, I guess. And also, for me, the nicest thing ever is, you know, when I'm out and about and I meet people and they're like, oh, you liked my photo, you know, and I'm like, well, I liked your photo because it was good, you know, so enjoy that, that, you know, and, and you realize what a big impact it has. And also, I don't want to live in an ivory tower. I think more and more, I think that becomes more important. It's very easy to sort of cut yourself off from the world, but it's not a healthy place to be. So for me, the fact that, you know, I can talk to all these people and message them um, is a really good thing. And also, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. I've messaged, I mean, not hairdressing people, but people that have got nothing to do with it. You know, I've messaged them questions or I want something or whatever. You know, and it's amazing how many people don't reply. And I always think, oh, well, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> and so I usually unfollow them because I think it's kind of rude. I, I would say that it is because if you think of the way we communicate online, again, kind of like the real world, to me, you know, when you post a photo and somebody puts, you know, a comment or anything, you know, that, of course, is, is, is an opportunity to engage with someone. To me, it's, it's probably the more casual one because it's almost like a group thing, um, you know, hitting the like button. I think you should respond to everything. But a direct message, you know, that's like somebody walking up to you and saying something um, that they they took an effort to reach out to you. Yeah, I think sometimes people forget the way they communicate online, because sometimes people message you and it's like, you're, you're, you're messaging in a really short way that comes across slightly rude. It's like, I don't know you, and I don't really know what you want. Um, so, you know, I think you just have to ask things nicely because, you know, it's like, it's like a text message. You know, it depends what mood you're in when you open the text to how you take that message. So always keep that in mind. No, that's a, that's a great point. You know, um, again, kind of context and, you know, being, being aware. Cause again, it's like that human interaction. You know, we, I think we're so much more conscious of the words that we use face to face. And we, you know, we have kind of filters that make us stop from being rude or our tone of voice. You know, there is, there is no tone in an email. So sometimes you think you're typing something and you're, you're being perfectly nice and the other person reads it. And because it's short and clipped, they think, oh, he was so rude. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, the thing about social media is it's just like real life, isn't it? There's things I love about it and things that drive me mad. You know, I, it drives me mad when I put a picture and I don't put the formula there. And then everybody's like demanding that I put the formula there. But it's usually a picture that I did months ago. But especially if it's something's kind of editorial, I did it months ago. I actually can't remember what the formula is. So, you know, it, and especially if it wasn't something that was like done for a Vader, it was, you know, done for an editorial thing or with one of my friends or something. I just actually don't remember. You know, and it's like, you know, I'm not stingy with giving formulas out there because I love 
you know, sharing them and inspiring people, whatever. But, you know, sometimes you do feel slightly under attack when you don't put them there, which kind of drives me a little mad, I have to say. That's interesting for sure. Um, I, I love to ask everybody this question, and uh, I'm going to do it in a little bit of a series of questions with you. But but start with, um, what's the best advice that anybody's ever given you professionally as it relates to color, some way, somehow? Um, and, 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 of course, why that might be of interest to our audience. Well, actually, the, the probably the best pieces of advice, there's a couple, is uh, many years ago, somebody said, to me, it was an old boss of mine, and they said, you know, don't worry about what everybody else is doing, just worry about what you're doing. And I thought, actually, I really took it to heart. And I was like, always thinking, oh, well, they're doing this or they're doing that or whatever. And actually just focusing on yourself. It doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing, because we all have different paths and we all have different jobs and we all have different, you know, whatever. Um, and then I used to work with somebody who just used to always say with everybody's color, but is it beautiful? And, you know, and, and I really took that to heart. And to me, it doesn't matter whether, you know, it, it's a few highlights. It doesn't matter whether I'm covering someone's gray hair. It doesn't matter whether it's dyeing someone bright pink. You know, it really doesn't matter to me. But does it look beautiful at the end? And I think that's something that's always kept me in check because sometimes, you know, you finish something and you look at it and there's nothing worse than thinking, mm, could be a little bit better, you know? And sometimes people I work with were like, Oh, you always take so long, you know? And I'm like, because I just want to refine it and refine it and refine it till I can just go, you know, that's it. It's, it's as good as it's ever going to be. And I just want to be proud of everything I do rather than ever wish that I'd done more. So I think that kind of always looking at your work and thinking, is it beautiful? Is it as good as it could be? That's something that's really stuck with me my whole career. That's great advice. Um, how, I'm just curious, like how, it's probably so much a part of who you are. I don't even know if you think about it as much anymore, but is that something, is that a moment in time decision? Is it something you kind of weave in and out of the process that you have as you're doing hair color? Talk a little bit more about that idea well i mean for everybody that colors hair they know that everything doesn't come out 100 perfect 100 of the time and it doesn't matter whether it's me it's you it's anybody i mean that's you know i always say to people hair color is only as good as the hair you put it on and we're not always working on the perfect canvas but you know i think it's sometimes you know one thing i say a lot when i teach is the last 10 minutes of a hair color is the most important and that's not the last 10 minutes of you putting the color on the hair. It's the last 10 minutes when you're washing it off and you're looking at it. You know, does it need a toner? Does it need something to make it more shiny? Is it exactly what you wanted? It's that last 10 minutes where you can really refine something and take it from good to great. And I think, you know, people kind of apply the color and then they think it's kind of done. And I think, you know, sometimes that moment at the shampoo bowl of just towel drying a bit off, seeing what it looks like, is it what you want or could it be that bit better? Because sometimes, you know, especially if hair's not in the best condition, you think, oh, I wish it was just a bit more shiny. Well, in today's world, you know, we've all got products that work quickly and have got great shine, so we can just put something on it and spend an extra five minutes there to take it to that extra level. And one thing I have learned in my career is um, people would for prefer to forego time blow drying their hair to get their color great because wearing their hair color for the next six, eight, 12, 16 weeks or whatever, you know, and there's been times where I'm like, you know, 
I, I know somebody has to go and I'm like, you know, I want to spend an extra 10 minutes on this, refining this. It means your blow dry is not going to be as good. And they're like, it's totally fine. And I think, you know, as hairdressers, we we sometimes focus on, you know, the the service of doing A, B, C, D, whereas sometimes it's the care of that person that's the important thing. So, you know, it's I would prefer to for someone to walk. I mean, I want everybody to be finished perfectly, but, you know, I would prefer to spend the time on their color and get it just the best that I can. So I know when I bump into them in Whole Foods in four weeks time, it's going to look great. So, you know, I think it's always making sure that you do really refine it in the way that you'd like to see it. I love that. The um, makes me want to ask about kind of the other side of that coin, which is the start of the process with the client, which is the consultation. Um, I remember talking a while back with Tabitha Coffee about consultations and and she had read a study from one of the, the brands that 97% of hairdressers say that they consult with clients on on every service and 97% of consumers say no one ever consults with them. <laughs> so, Well, I think that's very true because I think what sometimes sadly people's consultation consists of you know that guest sits down and we say what do you want no they're not a hairdresser they're not they're they're not a professional we are so it's it's like why should they know all the options and having that discussion and i think you know people think that consultation is asking all these questions whereas actually i think it's more of a discussion about their hair one thing i always say to people find out that one thing that makes people mad about their hair if you can fix that they'll have you for life. You know, so I think it's really having a discussion and it's not just how was your color last time, maybe, but, you know, how was it over the 12 weeks since I saw you last? What are you happy about? What would you prefer to change a little bit? What What do you like? What don't you like? Just having a very open dialogue because they obviously think you works good because otherwise they wouldn't be back in your chair. But I think it's that dialogue of finding what worked, what didn't and, and playing around with it. And I think, you know, it's it's a journey. And you have to be on a journey with things. I mean, I, it's interesting you said that about Tabitha. I, uh, I was reading something recently and it was saying that, um, you know, hairdressers are under the illusion that clients leave them because we don't give them something different. Whereas the reality is clients leave us because they think we don't care about them anymore. Ooh, that's profound. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. I have to say, and I think, you know, it is about treating everybody as an individual. And it's very easy for Mrs. Smith to come in every six weeks and you're like, hi, and you've already mixed the color up before she's walked in the door. But actually, you know, and you just do the same process every time. And I'm like, but it's different hair every time. So it's a different time of the year. You know, you sit that person down and it's like, what do you need today? Because that's not what you needed six weeks ago. And it's not what you're going to need in six weeks time. But what do you need today? And also how they feel about their hair. Because, you know, people stay in a safe zone of always having the same thing because they don't know any different. So I think it's our job as professionals to give people suggestions and kind of nudge them in the right direction, really. And I I just want to reinforce that about, you know, the the caring. Um, When I do programs with with groups of hairdressers, I often try to channel a consumer because I am a consumer. I'm not a hairdresser. And I, I love being in the salon and I love thinking about the experience. And I love talking to my fellow consumers about their experiences. And most of us consumers, I would argue, it takes a lot for us to leave you. We, we want to love our hairdressers. Um, you can not do the best job. 
most of us don't even realize it. We're not very, we're not you, you know, we don't have that eye, you know? Um, but when we do realize that you've done less than what perhaps we wanted or expected, we're extremely forgiving if we like you. And I would add, based on what you said, and if we think, believe that you care about us. Yeah, and I think that is. And, uh, you know, I always say to people, that person in your chair pays your rent or pays your mortgage. So you better appreciate them. And also, you know, it, it's very easy to get into that. How are you today? Have you had a vacation? You know, it's just actually treat them like an individual. And remember, you know, things about them. And if you if you haven't got a good memory, write them on your records and then you've got things to talk about. So that that is again, that I mean, that's just great advice and important. And again, you know, channeling from a consumer perspective. When you go into a salon for a second appointment and it's a busy salon, and that hairdresser doesn't remember you, and you know that they don't, you just know it, you know. Um, and again, maybe it's just your second time there. It's it's like a letdown to the client. It makes you feel small, you know. Well, I think what people forget is, as a hairdresser, you've got hundreds, thousands, yes. whatever clients. Yes. They've only got one hairdresser. Yep. Or two at the most, usually. Yep. You know, so you are a big part of their life. They might not be the biggest part of your life. Yes. <laughs> you've got a lot of them. But you have to remember that to that person, it's important. And yeah. You know, if you do get somebody and you don't recognize their name, look them up and see if you did them before. Yes. Because nothing's more flattering than going, I know it was seven and a half weeks since your last hair color service. Because they're like, wow, you remembered that. And, you, you know, it's just making that people, people feel like they're an individual and that you actually care about them. And, and you should care about them, you know? And you should. And, 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 and you should care enough about your career and, and, and your own business and your own income to find those little tips and tricks. Like, as you say, if, you, if you're not good at remembering names or you're, you've got way too many people to even possibly remember them all, or if it is a new client, be organized enough to check the book, number one, know who's coming in. Number two, I love what you said, you know, about keeping notes about people. When, when, Someone remembers the stories of our lives as consumers. When when someone remembers my dog Cody and, and asks questions or says something about that means a lot to me. Um, and it it just creates a deeper bond and it increases the chances I'm gonna listen to everything you say, buy everything you tell me to buy from a service perspective and come back when you want me back. Yeah, and I think, you know, you know, I always say to people, the way we earn more money is by getting a pay rise because most of us work on some kind of commission structure. So the more we charge, the better. But it gets to a point where you're only really going to be so good. So actually, people are now paying for your experience, but they're also paying for the experience, you know, and I don't want to do a million people's hair every day, you know. And so, you know, I realized that actually, I just want to charge a lot of money. But with that comes the experience, of I will recognize that you've got a new handbag. I will take care of you. It's I will sit down with you. You know, it's a whole thing. It's like I my pet hate is the way that hairdressers, you know, I, I see it with hair colorists all the time. Miraculously, their conversation ends the minute they put that last foil in somebody's hair, you know, and, and that's not reality. And I'm like, you know, if you just take a moment to just move around the other way so you finish face to face and actually finish the conversation naturally. They don't feel like you're rushing off and they feel like you care. It's all those very small 
details that people will pay for. That's, that's again, great advice. Kind of staying with the theme of advice, a colorist who may be feeling stuck. I've run into so many people, you know, who maybe have been doing hair color for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, and they've developed a certain type of clientele, perhaps an aging clientele, and they've just become a little bit stuck or bored or um, perhaps they're being inspired by all the vivid colors we see, but they're not in a marketplace to do those. And so, again, they they feel bored. Um, what's your best advice for somebody who's feeling a little bit stuck in their career? Make best friends with the person that books the appointments. Ooh. Because, you know, maybe as you get, you know, as you get older, as you get more expensive, you become more and more expensive. And so it's kind of like, oh, you've got your regulars, you've got that, you're the easy one for them to deal with. Well, actually... Maybe you want to do some younger people. So actually have a discussion about maybe they can send some of the younger people to you. You can have fresh blood in your chair. You can have a kind of different aesthetic sitting there. You know, rich middle-aged women all have daughters. So, you know, <laughs> encourage them to get their daughters to come in. And I think sometimes, you know, people underestimate the power of just spending a day with your friends doing some hair and doing something fun just for, you know, the fun of it. So I think, you know, it's, it's about you being proactive about stuff. And I think, you know, just in general, people sit there and wait for the world to come to them. And it's like, if you want a younger clientele, you have to see how you can get that. You know, and maybe it's you start doing a few people at a slightly cheaper price because it's feeding you creatively. Maybe it's, you know, you just spend a day getting some girls in as models and having fun and, you know, jamming with some other people in your salon. Maybe it's just having a discussion with the people that make the appointments because maybe they don't know you want those kind of clients. So I think there's kind of lots of ways you can kind of go about it. Also, you know, use social media, put your work out there, have some fun, you know, and, uh, you know, don't always use these really big hashtags. Use more local things where people can kind of find you. I, I love every bit of that. And now we're swinging back towards social media again, which gets me all excited. Um, so you're, you're doing some classes on that. So um, give us a few tips, uh, things we haven't talked about. If you're, you're speaking um, again, and uh, maybe it goes beyond hair color, but specific to hair color, maybe um, big tips that you want to share as it relates to being successful on social. Well, one is called social media. So be social. And I think that's something that people forget. You know, I see people being really stingy with likes. You know, they'll be scrolling through. I mean, I've had friends do it. They scroll through in front of you and then they pass your picture and you're like, thanks for the like. And they're like, oh, you get plenty of likes. And I'm like, well, I hope you accept that everybody might think that when they look at your picture. You know, I think it's understanding your audience. And I think that's one thing that, you know, if somebody follows you for hair, they don't really care if you've got a new kitchen floor because that's not why they're following you. And also, they don't know that much about you. So you have to kind of keep that in mind. And also, it's when you take a picture, does it look its best? Because sometimes I see a picture and I think that looks a really nice color, but it looks terribly finished off. And, you know, it's taking that time to really refine that end result you know, quality sp speaks for itself. And also being true to your message. I see lots of people's pages and they're like, you know, such and such hair color or such and such makeup or such and such whatever. And then you go on their page and I don't see any hair color on there. Pictures of, you know, them at the lake at the weekend or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's not why I would follow you. So keep focused on 
what it is. Make sure your pictures look good. You know, you don't have to be a great photographer. I think, you know, everybody always lives under this illusion that, you know, I mean, with me, people are like, oh, you know, what camera do you have? And I'm like, uh, the one on either of my phones. You know, it's like in this day of technology, you can take great pictures on your phones. And in fact, for Instagram, I actually like the aesthetic of, of pictures taken with a phone rather than with a camera, because I think you can tell the difference once you know what that is. And I quite like that phone quality to things. I think it's, it's got a bit more of a warmth to it than a, you know, a DSLR or something. And uh, But I think really it's understanding who your audience is. It's just constantly one singular message and um, having fun with it, really. I think people take it too seriously. But it's like also keep things local. You know, if you live in Tampa, Florida, you know, if you've got 10,000 people following you from Seattle, they're not all going to fly to Tampa to get their hair done. So actually what you want is people that are very local and interact with other people, you know, make a community locally, especially, you know, if you, if you're running a salon Instagram, it's connect with local businesses. So you all have this kind of community feel. And for those um, who struggle with something you referenced, you know, which is, you know, kind of the kitchen, new kitchen floor, as you mentioned, you know, mixing of the personal and professional, um, uh, some of the best advice I've heard there is if you want to be successful relative to your career and your business, you should consider a separate account. If you really feel that you've got a lot of personal stuff you'd like to share, you have friends and family you want to share it with, and possibly some of your clients, uh, but you also want to drive your business, um, maybe you should consider a an account for your career. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I think you have to define what is personal and what's professional. You know, it would have been very easy for me to get my dog and fill my Instagram feed daily with 25 pictures of my dog because I adore her. But do people want to do people that follow me want to see that? You know, probably not. So, you know, it's, it's defining what people want to see. You know, you get to, if you had 30 followers, they're probably all your friends. So they want to know those personal things and they know the other people in your life. But when you get into the thousands, they don't. So you have to give people what they want and, and why they're following you. And that's, if you want people to follow you for hair, you better give me hair. It's not to say you can't put personal pictures on there because it's nice to see what people are doing and it shows another side of you. But I think you have to really think that those people that follow you don't really know you. So they're not that bothered if you've got a new kitchen floor because that's not what they're interested in. And to, to me, it reminds me, maybe as a metaphor, but again, about the real world and, you know, thinking about the conversations you have with clients and how much of that conversation should be about the professional side of why you were there with that client and how much of that conversation should be personal. Because I think a lot of hairdressers lose so much opportunity by making the conversation all personal and forgetting the job they have to do the clients want, which is advice, which is... Um, you know, a conversation about hair and fashion and hair color and, and beauty. Yeah, I think it's a really missed opportunity. And I, you know, it's like, don't sell your guests product to make the money off it, you know, sell the guests the product and teach them how to use it properly and do it as an investment in yourself. You know, I'm like, for me as a hair colorist, the better condition their hair is when they come back, the easier it is for me to color it and the better it will last. So it's in my interest that they take the products and they use them properly. It's not about a sale. It's about the care that you're taking for that person. You know, most people 
you know, we think everybody knows how to condition their hair. And a lot of the time, no one's actually ever told them. They're just in the shower with soaking wet hair and putting on for 30 seconds and that's them done. So I think it is about having that opportunity to have those conversations and also have the right conversations about how they do their hair at home. Because how you're drying it might not be how they dry it because they like this special blow dry because that's what they get when they come to the salon. And the number one complaint that I hear from my consumer friends, and I've heard it through most of my career when I ask them about their salon experience, is that they don't feel prepared to do their hair at home uh, based on the consultation they got or didn't get. They they sometimes are embarrassed to ask the question. I remember a really good friend um, who was a very high-powered executive woman in Chicago, and we were talking about this very subject. And, and it had to do with using a diffuser. I remember it very specifically. And she's like, I cannot figure out how to use the frickin' diffuser. And I'm like, well, just ask your hairdresser. And she's like, I'm a very successful, high-powered executive. She's like, I'm not going to admit that I can't figure out how to use this thing. I think it's like people are just scared of showing some sort of vulnerability. But I also think, you know, as a hairdresser, it's like what I see is people standing behind somebody and they go, oh, you use this amount. And then they put it, you put it through the hair like this, where you're standing behind them and they can't see what you're doing anyway. You know, and I think sometimes it is getting them involved in things of, of whether it's getting them to apply the product to their hair, whatever, whatever works for you. But it's making sure that they leave the salon with confidence to use the products properly. And I think, you know, I always say it's easy to sell somebody something once, but it's harder to sell it a second time. If you want to sell it a second time, you better make sure the first time was a success. So really making sure that they leave the salon with the knowledge and feeling empowered to use that as it should be used will mean it's a success. And then they'll buy it again. And it makes your life easier, you know, because then they're styling their hair great or the conditions great, whatever it might be. And then it's sort of like you don't have to listen to them complain about it every time they come in. So it makes your life much easier. Much, much. And the client much happier. So um, again, looking at social and, and, and again, not being a hairdresser, not being a colorist, um, I can see that trends are, are, are being driven to, to a degree by social. I'm sure there's a lot of them coming down the pike that some of us are aware of and, and some of us are not. Um, you're in a, a, just such a, a great position globally and with such a big company to, to kind of have some insights from a trend perspective as to what might be coming in hair color. So any predictions, any thoughts, any stuff you're seeing happening out there that, that we should know about? Um, well, I'd say the two main things is, you know, we've been seeing sort of these very cool tones for quite a long time. You know, it's all been about the silver hair or this blue hair or this green hair or you know, these very cool kind of colors. I think things are getting a little bit warmer, which I think is a big thing. And the other thing is the sort of no statement hair color. You know, it was the cool people were having this statement hair color and having baby pink hair, you know, and actually now that's caught onto the masses. And actually those people that are the real trendsetters are actually moving away from that and almost want that did she, didn't she kind of color her hair. So it's this almost like hyper real natural look where you can't actually tell whether somebody's hair is colored or not. They want it to just look like this amazingly beautiful hair that maybe you did just wake up like that, you know, and the statement is almost not making a statement with your color. So I think, you know, that's something we're going to see much more, this return to this very refined, very kind of natural look as well, which I think will be interesting. I think those bright colors will still be there. You know, and I see people cutting off their hair much more. You know, and we all know when people cut off their hair, they become much braver with hair color. 
as a hair colorist, I feel like I'm in a win-win situation, to be quite honest. No, I've never, is- I've never heard that before. So I want you to explain that a little bit. So, so they cut off their hair and you, you're saying they become more brave with hair color and that's yeah, a, a when phenomenon. people When people grow their hair, you know, they're worried about the condition. So they become obsessed because we all know the ends of people's hair feels drier just with age. So they're all kind of a bit more obsessed about the condition. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that would love, you know, baby pink hair, but they won't do it because they're worried about the condition of their hair because the hair's long. Once you start cutting your hair off, people worry about the condition less because they're like, oh, it just gets cut off. So people become a little bit braver. And also people are making more of a statement with the actual hair color. So um, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a win-win. I think, you know, I think it's, I, I think it'll be a really refreshing, you know, I look at my niece who's 15, for instance, you know, she's never grown up with those statement haircuts around because everybody's always having long hair. So to her having violet hair or having blue hair or whatever she's got at the moment, it's just another hair color. It's like dyeing it brown or dyeing it blonde or dyeing it red. You know, she doesn't see any different, but she's got this full on kind of statement haircut, you know, which is quite strange for a 15 year old in a lot of ways you know she had it all cut off maybe i don't know a year and a half ago and it's just got more severe ever since you know and she's really rocking this very strong look because her way of not looking like the kind of that sort of like almost that half generation that's that's the bit older than her is you know her and her friends all cutting their hair off and having these short statement haircuts in these bright colors so you know i think that because they've never really been around that they think it's something new to have these haircuts so i think it's we're moving into very interesting times we had um as guests recently um johnny ramirez and anko tranbaran and they were having a conversation about trend and and also what was happening with the vivids and and to your point the trendsetters that small group of people you know who tend to shift in a different direction when the masses catch up with where they were um you know johnny made the comment that um, he was seeing a movement towards shorter cuts, and he believed amongst the trendset crowd that much of that was being driven um, as a reaction to having those vivid colors for a while. And and he said, "Look, you, you know, you you push the hair to a certain level, you're going to have you know some damage, and it just occurs naturally." And um, so his, his take was a lot of the short hair cuts were being driven um, just by using those colors for a long period of time, and that. That then was driving the trend towards shorter cuts more generally, and also, and he was using like a Katy Perry as an example, and also, you know, a different direction um, in hair color. Any thoughts, or do you agree, or anything to add to that? Disagree? No, I totally agree. It's, you know, and also everything has a lifespan. You know, if you've been dyeing your hair bright colors for five years, you're probably bored of it. You know, we all get bored. You want something different. I mean, I think you know. It's interesting you brought up Arn and um, Johnny. You know, I think they're a really good example of they've really taken their look and really become very successful with it. And also, you know, they've got huge followings on social media. And what I love is you go on there and everything's just this very kind of like soft lived in color. It's not, you're not going on their Instagrams and it's all bright pink and everything. And I think, you know, people get caught up in, Everything has to be, you know, these bright colors and it doesn't at all. And there's just, there's more beauty in a way in softer things. I always say to people, it's very easy to dye somebody's hair blue. You just kind of, you know, bleach it out and put blue on it. But how easy is it to make a really amazing brunette? 
are a really amazing, soft, you know, blonde on a level nine that looks very natural. They're the things that are hard to do. And I think sometimes because it's maybe not as sort of attention grabbing, it gets a little bit overlooked. And I think that that Johnny and Ann's pages and and also, you know, the the Instagram page for Ramirez Tron Salon, that um that they're kind of a proof point that you can be successful on social with almost any kind of beauty, you know, um, as you said, it's, it's one of the biggest categories on Instagram. Um, as long as it is to your earlier point as well, beautiful. Well, it's a visual medium. Yep. And I think that's what people forget. I mean, Instagram is a visual medium. It doesn't matter what you write underneath that picture. It's that picture. And a good picture is a good picture. You take a good picture and, you know, it's that thing of because you're flicking through really quickly, it's a relatability. You know, I mean, I can do something in a studio that, that costs ridiculous amounts of money. But with that, it, does that always get as many likes as, you know, the back of somebody's head that I've done at home? And I took the picture in my bathroom, you know, because maybe it's not so relatable. So, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I think it's it's just... You know, it's just a different world Instagram, isn't it? And I think you have to kind of, a good picture is a good picture. I don't, if the hair is good, the hair is good, actually. It doesn't even matter whether it's my taste or not my taste or what I would want to do or not. I can appreciate good hair. And when I see good hair, I think it's amazing. You know, it really gets me going. So, you know, it goes back to that thing of keeping your standards high. Absolutely. So, so, um, and speaking of kind of of standards, um, you're, I'm sure, held to a very high one in your in your job of as a Veda Global Artistic Director of Hair Color. Um, how you know that's that's a big job. Where, how do you find inspiration? Because you're putting out collections, you're putting out, you know, marketing, collateral, you know, support through beautiful imagery. You know, where where does Ian's inspiration come from? I think inspiration's a really personal thing. I mean, for me, I feel like I just get in moods of things. You know, you see, it's like that thing, you see something and then suddenly it's everywhere. And it can be that. I mean, I love fashion. Um, so there's always that side, but it's more the mood of fashion that I like rather than, you know, I don't want to go and, you know, it's like Gucci's got, you know, a great creative director at the moment. And I think they're really killing it fashion wise, but does it mean I want to wear it? No, but I like this kind of return to maximalism, you know, and I like this, you know, the, the companies like Vetmon, which are, you know, really kind of getting huge that it's kind of almost, it's the, ordinary that they're they're doing because it's kind of relatable and they always say they just want to make clothes that people can wear so you know i think you have to decide what you like i think you know art's a great thing i like fashion it's just anything i think it's just what you see around the world it's like you take a bit of this you take a bit of that you take a bit of something else you have a mood of what kind of things you're into at that time and then you just kind of create something I think, you know, it's very hard to define. I mean, I think everybody always wants you to have this one point of, I was inspired by this, but I don't necessarily think it's that. It's like I was inspired by lots of different things and all those things together mixed up created this. So, and actually, I like being inspired by other hairdressers. You know, it's been quite interesting. I've been doing a lot recently of um, working with people where they'll say, oh, can you do this model's hair? It's for a shoot or something. And I'm like, yeah. And not being at the shoot and not even really asking what the look is they're doing. And then I'm quite surprised when I get the pictures back, you know, because it's not necessarily what I expected. And I think sometimes 
that almost collaborating without collaborating too much is where, where interesting things happen because people style things or they create looks that you wouldn't necessarily go for. And I think it pushes you. And I think it's always about working with people that push you in a certain direction, whatever that may be, and kind of nudge you to try new things. And, and, I, would, and I would say it sounds like also having trust. Oh, I mean, I think you have to find the right people to work with. But I think when you find the right people to work with, the fact that you're, and it goes back to the vulnerability thing, the fact that you're just lay yourself bare and go, this is it, go and do what you want with it, I think is a very brave and great thing. So it's finding those people to work with. And maybe they're not the people that work next to you in the salon. Maybe they're someone from another salon. Maybe they're someone from another town. But it goes back to the social media thing of find those people that are your tribe and those people that you connect with. Let's talk about maybe sharing inspiration or sort of inspiration. I, I love to ask everybody this question. You know, what might you be reading, listening to, viewing, um, and or obsessing about that um, you you think would be worth sharing with our audience? Um, well, I'm always obsessing about documentaries. Oh, <laughs> me, me as well. Me as well. <laughs> it's literally 90% of things I watch are documentaries. And, you know, sometimes people can think that I'm a bit ridiculous because I'll watch them about Bigfoot or I'll watch them about UFOs or, or whatever. You know, and, and it's just, well, being open to possibilities, really. And I think, you know, it's I love historical things, especially about very kind of ancient civilizations, because I think it's, it's there's just so much we don't understand. And history, I think what people forget is history is constantly changing. You know, because as we find new things out, it alters the way we view things. You know, and I think it's quite interesting watching things about other civilizations, especially from the past, because their aesthetics and the way they thought was very different. You know, and going back to the inspiration things, maybe they talk about how they viewed beauty in, I don't know, ancient Egypt or something. You know, that might give you a spark of inspiration for something of just thinking about looking at something a little bit differently and pushing yourself in a different direction. But I'm a, I have a huge thirst for knowledge. So that's what I'm always inspired by, really. I could sit and watch every documentary on YouTube and Netflix and everything else for eternity. <laughs> I, I love that. And, and, and history and, you know, and, and I guess more learning, it, it offers context. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, like, ancient beauty. I mean, all of that gives you context for the work that you're doing today, a, a broader understanding that serves as a base from which to work. Yeah. And I think the best things are things which give a nod to something in the past and you can tell where the inspiration came from, but you've created something that's com completely contemporary. You know, I was judging a, a competition in Australia a couple of weeks ago, you know, one of the pictures I was just like, I just feel like it was a picture of a guy and I was like, I feel like it's very 90s, but it looks very 90s. And then this other person had got a picture where I was like, it's like a complete nod to the, that sort of stripy blonde hair from the late 90s, but done in such a contemporary, fresh way by this kid that I was like, that's literally the, the most exciting hair color I've seen in the last three years. Because it feels so fresh and so new. And I see where the inspiration or there's a nod to the past, but it doesn't look like it comes from the past at all. It just looks, in fact, it looks like it comes from the future. And I think that, you know, it was incredible. 
documentaries again i i share that passion so any um any favorite any one documentary you would love to uh, and, and uh, let's 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 put we'll put a bigfoot documentary off to the side <laughs> 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 any other documentary or documentaries that just pop in your head as favorites or ones that you think people might enjoy um well i watched some kind of quite out there ones but actually there's one called the island president that i love which is a really it's you know it's 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 kind of about this guy who becomes the president of somewhere. I won't tell you too much. And it's also linked into uh, climate change, um, but also how people view that and the, the reality of how governments um, react to it. And it's it's quite powerful and it's a very beautiful story. So watch it. I'm going to go check that one out. So I'm going to mm. check that. Now we're starting to run out of time. So I am going to ask you, where can our audience find you online? Um, they can find me online on Facebook. Um, but the main thing is I'm on Instagram a lot more. So if you want to message me, do that. Uh, if you go to Ian Michael Black on Instagram, you can find me there. That's probably the easiest way. And again, you're, you're absolutely um, fanatical about answering your DMs. I know that. So uh, I don't want to tell everyone to DM you. <laughs> But I, but I know if most of them do, that you will get to them and, and you will yeah, respond. Yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, I do get a lot. So if I don't reply to people, you know, I can only apologize. But I think, you know, I try to because it's just nice to interact with people. It's great. And this has been such a fun interaction, you know, if you will. I, I love this conversation. Um, let me just say passionate colorist, educator, Aveda's global artistic director for hair color and dad to the most fabulous Momo. Ian Michael Black, thank you so much for being on the American Salon thank Stories you, podcast. Uh, thank you for asking me. It's like, I have to say, I'm a huge fan of your podcasts and I, I listen to them all. And I think they're a really nice insight into, you know, leading figures in the industry. And I feel very honored to be put amongst them, to be quite honest. So thank you very much, Gordon. We Again, we appreciate having you. I will see you in just a few days at Aveda headquarters for an Instagram contest follow-up and i'm excited about that so thank you again and we'll see you soon ian see you soon bye and we'll be back next week with another american salon stories podcast in the meantime we hope you'll follow american salon on instagram where we're known as american underscore salon on facebook at facebook.com forward slash american salon that's all one word and of course on americansalon.com where you can also subscribe to the daily beauty fix e-newsletter this is american salon guest contributor and harebrain ceo gordon miller and i can't wait to bring you another american salon stories podcast next week 